So God, we invite your presence into this place. We thank you for the privilege and honor it is to gather and to worship your great name. And this morning, Father, as we look at the topic of your word, the inspired, inerrant, God-breathed word of God, I pray, Lord, that, um, that you would remind us of the truth by which we live according to, and that is the word of God. Holy Spirit, I pray for your presence in this place, that you would just do work in our hearts. And Lord, may we just sit here for just a few seconds and invite the presence of the Holy Spirit. morning. So glad that you are here with us this morning, worshiping with us and those joining us online this morning and those in traditions and those uh, at the Kendrick campus. We're glad that uh, we are all able to worship. This morning in traditions, I, I can't believe this. I've, this is my sixth year here, but traditions, for those of you who have been longer than me, this is the 10th anniversary of traditions. Isn't that crazy? And they are celebrating this morning and they're having a choir over there at 1045 and all kinds of things. So if you have a chance and you want to stop by, uh, it's a pretty exciting day for, for traditions this morning. Well, last week I kicked off a new series called We Believe. It's right behind me in case you haven't noticed that sign. It's a series based on the evangelical free church statement of faith. Uh, why are we doing this series? Because many have been fooled, not necessarily you or not necessarily me, but many have been fooled into thinking that, that uh, if something is believed, then it must be true. Therefore, if something is not believed, it must be false. And as you might imagine, that leaves a lot of room for people to believe whatever they want. In other words, to make up their own truth. So what is true? What do we, what do we believe and why do we believe it? Well, as a denomination, Evangelical Free Church, we have what's called a statement of faith, which provides for us an affirmation of convictions, I guess you could say. You might say it's a confession of beliefs that unifies all of those who believe it. And it declares our identity and holds up and brings attention to those areas that we believe are the most important things. And if you were here last week, you maybe you heard me use a phrase, significance of silence, which means while there are 10 points that we believe are really important that we'll rally around, that um, you can think of it like hills that we would climb and put a stake in, hills that we would die on, there are many subpoints to all 10 of those things that we may not agree on, but that we don't necessarily divide over. Today we'll be unpacking article two, we believe in the Bible. And on the screen, you will see uh, the statement of article two. We believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. 
as the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of his will for salvation, and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. So this morning I'll be uh, raising a couple of questions that we'll try to answer. If you need a Bible, just slip a hand up. We've got some ushers who have Bibles. And again, like I say every week, if you need a Bible at home, please take it home with you. The first question is this, what makes the Bible so unique? And if you're following along in the outline, there's, a, there's some scripture there, there's a lot of information there. Um, or if you're following along on version, the same thing. But what makes the Bible so unique? Well, first, the words of the Bible are inspired by God. There, there are many, many opinions about the Bible. Some say it, it's, it's unreliable. Some say it's ancient. It's irrelevant. Some say it's a storybook. Some say it's the word of God. What do you say? What does the Bible say about itself? Well, the word inspired, the Bible was God breathed. That's what that idea is there. It was inspired, but not to be confused with the modern day use of the word inspired. Because you might read a book and you might say, wow, that was so inspiring. Or the author must have really been inspired. If the Bible is in fact what it claims to be, then according to 2 Timothy 3.16, we have available to us whether you use a hard copy or you use electronic version, but we have available to us a book that God recorded to teach us the way to live, how to redirect our steps, and build by equipping and preparing us for a life of righteousness that God has called us to. But of course, that's only if it is truly the word of God. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, you might be familiar with these couple of verses. And if you have children in Awana, you might be familiar with these verses. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And it goes on in verse 17, it says this, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So when speaking of the Bible, the word inspired is unique in that God was the author of the Bible. He was the one who inspired. He was the one who, who breathed his words to the human authors to write it down. He was the initiator. God was the source of the Bible. And the authors were, were the recipients of his words that were coming to them. Second Peter 1.21 says this. For prophecy never had its origin in human will. So when you think about the word of God, some people say, well, was it just a bunch of authors that just decided to write some really cool things down? Second Peter 1.21 says, for the prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, so to make it clear, the Bible was not just mere thoughts of man, but it was God's will. His divine character, the Bible, was not the mere thoughts of just man. It was recorded through the Holy Spirit, through human authors. 
So here's a really cool thing. The Bible was written over the course of 1,500 years by 40 different authors. And every time I, I say that phrase, I think of this, and I, and I love this next, this next piece. 1,500 years, 40 different authors, and it all agrees. Just pause right there for a second. 1,500 years, 40 authors, and it agrees. From every walk of life were these authors, ranging from kings, military leaders, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, tax collectors, poets, musicians, and so on, and they all agreed. So while the Bible was God-breathed, the authors were not just these, these mere pre-programmed robots. God used their personalities and their styles of his, of his chosen to breathe his word through. So that's what you see come out. He guided and directed them as only God can do to record his message of love and redemption. The prophets and the authors were aware that they were God's mouthpieces. And we often read phrases like, the word of the Lord came to me, like when you're reading scripture, or, or the spirit of the Lord spoke through me. So not only is the Bible God breathed and literal, but it's also inerrant. Meaning in the original manuscripts, the thoughts that God wanted written were written. The Bible was written in different places like wilderness and a dungeon and inside prisons and, and while traveling along and, and even on an island. Some of the Bible was written in times of war. Some of the Bible was written in times of peace. The Bible was recorded by authors who experienced different moods. The heights of joy, the depths of sorrow. Times of certainty, times of confusion. Three different languages. The Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew and Aramaic and the New Testament was written in Greek and, and it contains a wide variety of literary styles like poetry and song and romance and biography and law and prophecy and, and parables. And while the Bible is diverse in many ways such as, as the ones that I just mentioned, it presents nonetheless a single unfolding story from start to finish, God's redemption of humans. All 66 books together reveal to us the creator's love and plan for relationship with us. The God of heaven has a message written to you. The paradise lost of Genesis is the paradise regained in Revelation. Next, the values of the Bible give us freedom to live by. For example, the value of generosity teaches us to be kind and unselfish. The value of courage reminds us the importance of being strong and courageous. The value of love reminds us of who God is. The value of respect reminds us that all humans were created in the image of God. The value of hope reminds us to have confident expectation. So the values of scripture provide for us a framework for living in freedom. If you want to live in freedom, the values of God's holy word. But the values of the world provide for us a framework to live in slavery, weighed down by what we're being told and shown is to be important, more important than God and his word. So the framework of the Bible and its values or the framework of the world and its values. 
James 1, through 25 says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. The values of scripture. Next, the truths of the Bible have stood the test of time. So Proverbs 30 verse 5 says this, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Every word of God is flawless. The Bible has been translated into 2,200 of the 6,500 known languages around the world. And you say, well, that, that's not really that many. But keep in mind that the 2,200 languages that it's been translated into make up 90% of the population. And in fact, 3,300 languages have at least one book of the Bible. The Bible has survived through the test of time, through persecution, as many have tried to, get this, they've tried to burn it, ban it, outlaw it. It is said that there's been no other book that has been so chopped, knifed, sifted, scrutinized, and vilified. Some have said the Bible is one of the most important documents in the history of civilization, not only because of its status of holy inspired scripture, but also because of its prevailing influence on Western thought. Grady Davis said the Bible brought its view of God, the universe, and mankind into the leading Western languages and thus into intellectual process in Western man. In fact, Theodore, Theodore Roosevelt said, a thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. Now, students don't go home and say, Pastor Andy said I didn't have to go to college. If I just read the Bible, I don't have to go to college. I'm not the one who said it. Theodore Roosevelt wasn't saying that college isn't important. He's just saying that the word of God is invaluable for living life. Well, what else? The teachings of the Bible are reliable. All this information is great, but is it reliable for us today? Romans 15 forces us. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scripture and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. You want hope? You need hope? Try here. In 1947, the world learned about what has been called by many the greatest archeological discovery of the century. Near the Dead Sea in some caves, some ancient jars were discovered containing new, now famous Dead Sea Scrolls. That's what we know them as. And the area where the scrolls were found was like a monastery. And the dedicated Jews who lived there, they, they would work the fields, but then they would spend much of their time copying scripture over and over and over again. But when it became so evident that the Romans were going to devastate the Jewish people, they took these leather scrolls and they put them in jars and they hid them in caves high above the ground near the Dead Sea. 
And, and these scrolls remained hidden in those caves until a goat herdsman accidentally found one in February 1947. Guys, we're talking about, you know, the age of the Bible, but we're talking about 74 years ago. Archaeologists went on to discover a manuscript in 11 other caves. And they discovered the complete manuscript of Isaiah and fragments of every other book in the Old Testament. And as I said earlier, some say that the Bible is just made up. Some say that it's, it's not accurate. It's just a storybook. The Dead Sea Scrolls help to validate the accuracy of the age of the original Bible that we still live by today. In fact, the manuscripts found after close study revealed just how identical they are with today's Bible. So imagine today that we're reading this Bible and we're just assuming, well, I guess it's accurate. And, and then all of a sudden, 74 years ago, they find these scrolls and they pull out these scrolls and they actually match them with what we're reading with the Dead Sea Scrolls. We're like, wow, they, it's actually consistent. They actually match. That's pretty awesome. Similar studies have proven the validity of the New Testament. The great scholar F.J.A. Hort, after close study of the early documents and today's translations, notes that there are only insignificant variations in grammar or spelling. Here's something that's, that's really cool. The latest number of known whole and partial Greek manuscripts alone number 5,686. Now, you take that number and you add all of the other additional portions of other ancient languages. And so we have pieces of the Bible that total 25,000. Get your mind around that. 25,000 pieces, okay? Number two. Secondly, just behind it, Homer's Iliad, 643. 25,643. Archaeology confirms the biblical accounts and more than 25,000 sites connected to biblical history. So the question often gets raised, can the word of God be taken literally, like when we read it? When asking this question, the word literal has to be defined, right? We have to define the word literal. To take a literal view of the Bible does not mean that one does not recognize figures of speech. As an example, when Isaiah says, the trees of the field will clap their hands. Or the psalmist writes, the mountains skipped like rams. We must consider the author's intent when they're writing. A literal view of the Bible interprets a passage in the sense of the author's intention. But that does not mean that we don't take the Bible literally. And when we stop taking the Bible literally, a, a can of doubt gets open, leading us to, to a place of deciding for ourselves what is true and what is right and what is literal. That can be scary. Charles Spurgeon said this regarding the Bible. The word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion all you have to do is let the lion loose and it'll defend itself. And the second question, can the Bible be trusted? 
Just a couple quick things that you might find interesting. Maybe not, I don't know. What was the Bible written on? It was written on two different things. Papyrus, it was called, or parchment. Um, and, and so papyrus was like uh, the, these reeds that grew in water um, near Egypt and Syria. And they would, they would pull these reeds and then they would, they would cut the reeds and then they would slice them into really thin strips. And then and they would put them down and they would smash them. And then they would take other ones and lay it on top at a 90 degree angle. And they'd do the same thing until they had what's called a piece of paper. And that's where we get our word paper, by the way. And they'd write on those. Or, or parchment was a name given to skins of sheep or goats or antelope or other animals. Do you guys think we've come a long way since parchment? And I mean, we don't even write anymore. What was it written with? A chisel? We, we, we joke about, right? <clears throat> Mom, dad, did you read or did you, how did you write? You know, Right? Well, that's literal. They did on in stones with, you know, they would engrave or metal stylus. They would, they would use to carve into clay or wax or a pen that was also a reed that they, would, that they would fix and then they would dip it in ink. But copies of God's word was, listen, hand copied, hand copied over and over and over again, duplicating copies throughout centuries. Although this, this was a tedious process, it produced thousands of copies. Now listen, a close study shows the incredible accuracy and care given to each copy, revealing very few variations from copy to copy. And after centuries of hand copying, the Gutenberg Press was invented in 1450. Well, the big question for me and maybe for you is, okay, there's 66 books here. There's a lot of words here. There's a lot of chapters and verses. Who decided? Okay, so God breathed, right? It was inspired in errant word, but who decided what went in here? Well, that introduces the word canon or canonicity. The word canon comes from the root word read or our English word cane. The reed was used as like a, a measuring rod and it became to mean a standard. The word canon, when used in reference to the Bible, means an officially accepted book, list of books. So we know that the Bible is a compilation of accepted books, but who accepted them? Well, there's all kinds of principles that they would use in order to determine what's actually gonna make it into the Bible. And just quickly, let me share a couple with you. Uh, they would ask questions like, was it written by a prophet? A spokesman of God? Or was the writer confirmed by God's acts? In other words, were there miracles that happened around a particular author? Because usually they're, they're, that would um, show the difference between a prophet and a false prophet. Um, did the message tell the truth about God? Uh, some of the church fathers would say, if in doubt, throw it out. Or another one, um, did it have evidence of the power of God? In other words, um, it says that it's alive, right? That the scripture's alive. Did it, was it, is there proof that it transformed people's lives? And then the last one, was it accepted by the people of God? So, so when a book was received, collected, read, and used by the people of God as the word of God, 
they considered it to be canonical or part of the canon. It made it. General principles. But quickly, let me tell you, Old Testament, New Testament. In the Old Testament, they would, they would look at things like, did Christ refer to the Old Testament as scripture? Or there was this council, this group of people that got together in 80, 90, when we talk about the Old Testament, and, and, and they would look at it and they would say, well, is this authoritative? As they looked at the different books. Or Josephus was a Jewish historian and he indicated these should be the 39 books in the Old Testament. Or the New Testament. Well, let me say one more thing about the Old Testament. It took a while, and, and the reason it took a while is because there were certain books that maybe were under great scrutiny or debate as to whether or not they should be in the Bible, like the book of Esther. Never mentions God, but it made it through a process. Uh, the New Testament, the apostles claimed authority for their writings. The apostles' writings were equated with Old Testament. In other words, they, they aligned. There were these groups of people that got together called councils again over a course of 30 years recognized the 27 books as inspired. There, there are more writings such as the Apocrypha, meaning hidden books that were not included into the canon of scripture, these hidden books. The Catholic Church, however, elevated these additional 12 books and placed them in the Catholic Bible. And you say, well, why aren't they in our Bible? These, these books, these hidden books. The New Testament writers never once quote the Apocrypha. So they were never counted as canonical in the original process. And Therefore, they're not in our Bible. Our statement of faith. We believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors, as the verbally inspired word of God. The Bible is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of his will for salvation, and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore... It is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. So I just spent, I don't know, what's it been? 20 minutes, 30 minutes? Telling you all about the Bible. How can I make it a part of my everyday life? I have a couple ideas for you if you're interested. The first idea I have is to take the word of God, hard copy, electronic copy, and just read it. Many will say, start in the gospel of John. I'll suggest that sometimes that people say, where should I start reading? Start with John. Three questions maybe to ask yourself. Because maybe you're like, well, I read the word of God and I, I don't know. It doesn't really do anything. To go deeper, maybe as you're reading scripture to ask three, these three questions. What did I learn about God? What did I learn about myself? 
What is God asking me to do or change? That's a really simple format to follow as you're reading scripture. What did I learn about God? And maybe it's like, well, I already knew that about God. Well, just write it down again or, think of, or just ponder it. What did I learn about myself? In other words, what's scripture trying to teach me about myself? And what is God asking me to do or change? That's, that's just one thing. That's one way to get into God's word. Another one is maybe you've heard of the one-year chronological Bible. Maybe some of you have that. Maybe some of you follow it. That's a great way. Um, you can buy devotionals that go with that and just start reading uh, scripture chronologically. Um, another way is, I don't have my phone, but if you don't have the YouVersion app, uh, the Bible, I would highly encourage you to get that. The YouVersion app. Um, there's so many resources on there. And some of the resources that are on there is you can find all kinds of devotionals by every topic imaginable on there that you can, you can sign. It's all free. You can just sign up for it and, and you can follow that for a period of seven days, 14 days. Maybe it's a devotional on marriage. Maybe it's a devotional on depression or anxiety or whatever it is that's going on in your life. Um, there's tons of devotionals there. All of the scripture is right there for you. Maybe you're like, well, I don't, I don't have time to read, but I do drive to work uh, a half hour each way or whatever. You can hit, hit the little, you know, hey, read it for me button. And it'll just read to you. Isn't that great? Maybe you could sign up for the verse of the day that pops up every day on your phone or your device. And, it, and, and it's amazing how often I hear from people. It's like, this verse popped up today and I can't tell you how meaningful it was or how appropriate it was today. And that's the way that the word of God works. Here's one thing. Let me leave you with this. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart.